Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher. Uh, here in New York City, joined via Skype by the legendary uh, owner and founder and co-chairperson of Tournament Poker Edge itself, <laughs> the one and only Killing Bird, Derek Tambush. How are you, Derek? I'm doing good, Clayton. How are you doing tonight? Really good. So you went to Reno, is that true? Yes. Uh, just got back, what, a week ago, I guess, or five days ago or something. It's been a blur ever since because I got the Reno flu. As soon as I got back, I was instantly sick. Um, but now I'm feeling much better today, thank God, because it was a rough few days. There can't be a Reno flu. That's not... <laughs> that's, I'm sorry, that can't be a thing. It's the, it's like the Rio flu, only worse. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I think my, my wife has a philosophy that it's because I work at home and basically never go outdoors around people so every time I go anywhere especially for an extended period of time I almost always get sick so like yeah. after yeah. Vegas I'm sick after a vacation I'm sick and uh, yeah Reno was no different unfortunately well I'm very sorry to hear that uh, it reminds me of the year when the uh, Legionnaires disease outbreak occurred in the middle of uh, the World Series of Poker were you oh, in yeah. Were you in Vegas when that was all going on? Yeah, that was crazy. It kind <laughs> of like a hundred people con- contracted this like horrible stomach virus, Legionnaires disease, and it was during the Millionaire Maker. So I said I, would, I didn't want to play the Legionnaire Maker. <laughs> the funny thing was I was on the plane to Reno, and I, and there was a guy wearing like a surgical mask type situation, <laughs> and I was like. Man, come on! Like it's not that bad. Like I'm, yeah, you're in a kind of closed space with some people, but you're probably going to be fine, you know. And of course, he was <laughs> obviously the smart one because I bet you he didn't get sick like I did. <laughs> That's it. Now this will hopefully make you a big hypochondriac, so you won't be able to fly without your without your flying mask. Yeah, now. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so did Mark end up going? Yep, Mark came out for. He was just out for a few days. Um, we've kind of made this like uh, annual thing where we basically get together just for the sole purpose of hanging out, watching football, and betting on sports. So we kind of did like two nights of that, basically like college football and pro football. And then he went home, and then that's when I started playing poker. Um, even I only got about I was there f- five nights, and I played four tournaments. So actually three, no, four tournaments. Um, so I, you know, I managed to get in some decent amount of poker, but unfortunately didn't have much success. Well, that's definitely more tournaments than you played last year. I think last year you guys went to run it up Reno and just like drank it up Reno. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, all right, I flew all the way. Last time I was in Nevada when run it up Reno happened, so I, it wasn't like I felt. And I was living in Vegas, so it's not like I was like, oh, I have to play poker. This is my only chance. I could play poker anytime I wanted. But this time I was like, okay, I, I now am back in a state where there's no live poker, so if I'm going to go all the way to Reno, I probably should play some poker while I'm there. 
Well, that's cool. I'm glad you did. And did Mark, get, he was only there for a couple of days. Did he get to play any tournaments? Nope, he didn't play any. Okay. He came, hung out. Now, you guys have been doing this for how many years now? Like, this is your thing, that you get together. Yeah, yeah. this is only our second year doing Run It Up Reno, but we've kind of made it a thing where we try to get together somewhere and do something. So, like, one year I just basically went to San Francisco where he lives, and uh, and we basically just watched it was the opening week of the nfl so we basically just did a bunch of dfs stuff and like watched football and hung out hit a couple of breweries and then went home so yeah we kind of we try to get together like w- once a year we're you know really good friends and stuff but we obviously live on completely opposite sides of the country so we just sort of force ourselves to hang out once in a while that's good you know there's no friends like old friends and you guys have known each other a long time so yeah that's cool um sorry you didn't have any uh success at the tables but I remember before you took off, you were saying that you really look forward to Reno because it feels more like uh, like a Twitch meetup rather than a serious poker event. Yeah, it's it's got a really good vibe to it, and I, I got to meet a lot of people who I hadn't met before uh, this year, and I also you know got to reconnect with a lot of old friends and, and people who I know sort of from Twitch, but not in real life, as they say. Um, so it was super cool. Uh, it's funny because my, my friend Melissa was there and she was giving me and Mark a hard time uh, because she basically says like all we ever do is like travel to poker tournaments and never play poker <laughs> and I'm like yeah because that's because that's I want to hang out with people like you so we just like chill at the bar or go out to dinner had some great dinners while we were there um, and it was fun too like even while playing like just I had some really good table draws in terms of like fun people um, like my I played the uh what was it? A two thirty-five progressive knockout, I think it was, and the um, uh, Melissa who I just mentioned and my friend Drew were like one table over, and then at my table were like four people that I sort of know from the Twitch community and stuff, and everyone's just kind of laughing, having a good time, you know. I said, "Oh, Matt Stott was actually at my ta- that table as well. I know you know Matt." Um, yeah, that's awesome. He's yeah, great. yeah, he actually is. Uh, he's the one who knocked me out. So screw that guy. <laughs> he's not so great. I've never liked him. <laughs> yeah, that's what I, that's what I was hoping you'd say. <laughs> that guy sucks. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'll be seeing Matt soon. We're doing another charity series of poker event uh, in November somewhere in California. So uh, I'll definitely update you guys about that once I have all the details. But yeah, we've got something in the works. Uh, yeah, the, he's been busy with that CSOP. So. Yeah, he did. Uh, there was an event there. I think it was the opening night, and I, that's basically the night I got in, so I didn't really get to, to go play it because I was just sort of traveling and getting checked in and all that fun kind of stuff. But um, from what I heard, it went it went really well. So. Yeah. Now, was, uh, is Mike Postle still the talk of the town? I haven't actually been seated at a, at a poker table uh, since the uh, scandal broke. Is, is he really on everybody's uh, mind? It was kind of interesting, like... I assumed that I would have at least, you know, half a dozen extended conversations about the Mike Postle situation, which just ended up not actually happening. But every table there was a joke about, like, that that was the thing, you know, like somebody would, like, make a big call. They'd be like, did you just Postle me? And stuff like that. So nobody had, like, nobody, it seemed like everybody's kind of burnt out on, like, actually talking about it, like, whether he did it, whether he didn't, what's the evidence, what's the latest evidence. Now it's just making fun of him. If You you know, I I saw several, like, Mike Postle (laughs) t-shirts. 
my favorite was uh, my buddy John had one that said cr- uh, crotch theory optimal on it. I thought that was pretty good. Um, so yeah, so it was definitely it, it was in the air, but like I said, it just seemed like everybody was like tired of talking about it, so no nobody cared to like bring it up in an actual conversation. <laughs> well, I think our timing of taking that rare week off a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Well, perfect timing because I think everybody was starting to get burned out. Like podcasters that haven't done a, an episode in over a year suddenly like needed to do an episode because this was, you know, it was newsworthy and something different to talk about. And it, it you know, it kind of brought up some other uh, issues for people, like just about, you know, how safe are all the games? How often have we been cheated? Mm-hmm. You know, I remember one time I was in Australia playing in the Aussie Millions. And the dealers there are so good. Uh, shout out, by the way, to the Crown Casino in Melbourne, Australia. Um, the dealer noticed a mark on the cards. And without any player pointing it out, she called the floor and said, you know, there's a mark on this card. I need a new deck. And they brought her a new deck, a whole new setup. And a short while later, she noticed another mark on the card. We had a whole new deck again. That's how they do it there. Like in Vegas, they will just replace the one card. Right. You know, I need a, a three of spades from the green deck or whatever the case may be. But she found four or five different marks and stopped the game each time. And finally, the supervisor said, listen, if you guys keep marking the, marking the cards, we're going to keep stopping your game. Our dealers are too good at spotting these things. So whoever's marking the cards, just stop it. Yeah. And after that, we didn't have a problem anymore. And you know, I've, I'm you know compare that with the experiences I've had in in the U.S. When I've suspected that there was someone marking the cards, or that if I see anything on the cards, many times the dealer seems annoyed that I'm asking him to <laughs> maybe make <laughs> the game is <laughs> is fair. Yeah, you know, they, they just seem to give you like an attitude a lot, like oh really? We have to get a whole new deck because. You see that all the aces have a turned up corner. You know, this is really that big a deal. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's kind of a big deal. So, oh, you want a fair poker game? Yeah, oh, <laughs> that makes me have to do my job. That sucks. Yeah, so I just noticed a kind of a difference in, uh, you know, just the attitude towards cheating, and I feel like because the dealers, especially during the World Series, they're all kind of—I shouldn't say all—but many of them are sort of bitter. They feel underpaid. They feel underappreciated. They are definitely overworked, and that's not debatable. And I feel like many times they they just they become surly by like mid June. So by the time the ninth player this week asks for a a change of a card because there's a little crease or a streak or a little mark, they're they're just over it, which is unprofessional of them. But at the same time, I understand uh, it is a hard job. Yeah, I remember, yeah. it seemed like there was one year at the World Series where they were having a lot of trouble with the cards. I don't remember if it was that they were getting marked up or that they were already, like, the printing was actually flawed on the backs, but um, I'm sure the dealers were really hating life that year. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It was uh, three or four years ago, I think, and they they were having so many problems with the cards. The cards were, like, too flimsy. You know, I think they had changed every couple of years. They change whoever is the official playing card of the World Series of Poker, probably because they get a sweetheart deal from somebody. Right. Um, you know, we'll make you twenty thousand decks of cards if you, you know, whatever. Uh, I guess it would have to be more than that. How many decks of cards do you think they go through during the summer? Maybe a million. Wow, <laughs> I, I can't know. even imagine. Yeah, it's got to be. 
I mean, it's literally got to be a, like a hundred thousand or something, right? Or, yeah, it's probably not a million, but it's definitely more than twenty thousand, right? I mean, there's, yeah, there's so, two at every table, and there's a lot of tables, and, that, and, tables. and I'm sure it's new decks every day. So, yeah, it would have to be. So that's crazy. If, I, if anybody knows the answer to that question, please tweet at us and let us know, because I'd actually be curious to know. I never thought about it. Yeah, we should do a contest or something. Who, you know, kind of like guessing how many jelly beans are in the giant jar, right? Yeah. Like how many decks of cards they go through in the World Series. We'll we'll find out from Seth or whoever. Yeah. Um, you know, we can get that answer. And I'm, now I'm kind of curious myself. But yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, they have to pay for each deck, so uh, they they probably just look for a good deal. Well, one year they must have gotten a really good deal because the cards were horrible, <laughs> and. Yeah, it was it was not worth whatever money they saved on you know not using uh, whoever the best is. I don't even know nowadays. I remember at one point it was chem, like chem cards. I remember yeah. that was chem and copeg were always the big ones that I yeah. heard about. But there might be better ones now, for all I know. Yeah. But I've had I have a pair or a set of copegs, and I've had them, I bet you a decade, and I've, yeah. I've never had to replace a single card or buy a new deck. It's, they're, they're incredibly yeah. good quality. They're really good cards. I think that you have like a lifetime guarantee or a twenty-year satisfaction guarantee, something crazy mm-hmm. with with them. So you spend, I don't know, twenty dollars on a deck of cards, but you never have to buy another deck again. Is the theory until somebody gets pissed off in your game and then wrinkles one up, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> or b- beer gets spilled on. Actually, they're plastic, so even that wouldn't bother. Yeah, them even that's much. fine. You could use them as coasters, and you probably should. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So, what about cheating? Have you ever been cheated? Do you think you've ever been in a game that was dishonest or that something was going on? Obviously, not to the degree of Mike Possel, like having an accomplice in the booth or whatever. Right. We think. He was up to, but yeah. Have you ever felt like maybe something fishy was going on? I don't think so. Not in a live game, anyway. Uh, at least that I've ever noticed. The only thing I can think of that's I, I, I've suspected has happened before, and uh, and I, I would pretty much guarantee has. And let's go going back to the Twitch thing. So I play on a three and a half minute delay. Um. So that I can show my whole cards, and my opponents can't watch my stream and see what my cards are. But every once in a while, a hand will play out just perfectly and long enough that it'll reach, it'll go through the delay. In other words, the hand lasts longer than three and a half minutes, essentially. Um, oh. And I'm pretty sure I've had s- once or twice somebody watching my stream and seeing my cards. Um, and there's Jeez. not. I can't even imagine an online poker hand lasting three and a half minutes. That is a long time. Yeah, usually, and you know, obviously I've played, I don't even know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of hands. So it happens pretty rarely. And the only the only way for it to really happen is like somebody disconnects and there you know, and then there's like a ninety minute or ninety second countdown or whatever. And then like the next two people take a really long time to make a decision. And then and it and it's usually a multi street hand that pretty much has to get to the river. Um but those are the ones where it matters the most, right? Because you know, maybe you're running a big bluff, or you're trying to get value, or whatever. And if they see your cards, they can play perfectly. So, um, but I'm almost certain that has happened before. Um, yeah, once I was or often wondering about that. Players who play big tournaments online, basically live, on a few minute delay, uh, and your opponents are finding out very shortly after the hand. Like, how many of your opponents do you think are watching your Twitch stream while you're playing? 
would you guess? Uh, quite a few, because the number of people who come in my Twitch stream chat and say, hey, man, I'm on your left in that $11.10 K or whatever. <laughs> like, I, I would say that happens every single night. Um, and, and a lot of times yeah. they'll even say like, "Hey, you know, should I leave? I just got moved to your table." And I'm like, "No, man. Like, I, you know, I choose to stream my hands. Uh, I have a delay on for my protection. But you know, if you get if you get information from my stream that helps you, uh, hopefully not my actual cards, but you know, maybe my bet sizing philosophies or whatever. Like, if you get any of that from me and it helps you, then that's my fault. You know, um, I'm not even so sure. Like, I can't really." I can't quite decide if it's even cheating to see my whole card. Like, if the hand takes too long and somebody sees my whole cards and they happen to be at my table, um, that's kind of my fault, you know? Unless they they do the tanking to try to get through the delay to see the cards. But, right. if, it, but if it just kind of happens, then it's kind of almost not even cheating. <laughs> it's just sort of like, well, I don't know, man. I'm watching your stream and I saw your cards. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I might be tempted to like maybe take a few extra seconds to make my decision, knowing that if I take long enough, I might actually get to see what you have before yeah. I make my decision. <laughs> that would be pretty good. Um, but yeah, I guess, of course, that wouldn't count as cheating because, like you say, you are putting yourself in that position. Right. Uh, it sounds like maybe that's the longest delay you're allowed to have. You can have longer ones. It's just the problem is that the longer you make it, the tougher it is to kind of communicate with your community because they're you know it's already kind of tough because of the delay but if it's like a 5 or a 6 minute delay then all of a sudden you're like you can't even remember the hand that somebody's asking you about or something you know they'll be like oh why did you fold that river and you're like uh, which river i have no idea what you're talking about yeah so you try to keep it as close to live as you can without the risk of exposing your hands and i found that 3 and a half minutes is pretty good uh, and I, you know and it's not like i'm playing high stakes either right i'm not play- i mean in fact when i play so like you know Recently, I played the $2,650 buy-in Venom tournament on ACR, and for that, I extended my delay to, I think, five and a half minutes. Um, yeah. So, you know, when I play higher, but, you know, if I'm playing a $5 2K or something, I, you know, and if I get cheated out of five bucks, then so be it. <laughs> I'll live. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's probably net positive for you anyway at those stakes because if, if you're getting that much interest in your Twitch stream, it's probably worth more in the long run than... Even winning that five dollar tournament. Yeah. So. True. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. So speaking of online poker, I think you mentioned you had a few hands you wanted to uh, run by me. I always love to hear them. Yeah, I got so one is I think a little more complex. The other is a little bit more straightforward, but I kind of want to get your opinion on it anyway. Um, so I'll do the I'll do this the shorter slash straightforward one second. So we'll we'll kind of dig into this first hand and then save the easy one for last. Sounds great. Cool. All right. So this is uh, from... It's an $11 buy-in tournament, but I can't see the guarantee for some reason. So, I don't know, probably a 5K or a 10K. Those are usually the ones that I play, $11, 5K, $11, 10K. Um, And the blinds are 400, 800. Uh, I start the hand with a, a little over 100,000 in chips, so I have a very nice stack uh, for this stage yeah. in the tournament. I am the chip leader at the table, uh, and the villain in this hand is gonna is, starts the hand with uh, 23.5k, so his, his stack's pretty healthy as well, uh, somewhere around, what, 30 bigs? Yeah, 30 bigs. Um, yeah, so 400, 800, and there's a 100 ante, 
and I am in middle position one. So, and we have uh, ace queen offsuit, ace of okay. spades, queen of clubs. So uh, it folds around to the villain in uh, middle position. So he's one to my right, I guess, uh, and he limps for eight hundred. Okay, so when you see a player open limp like this online, uh, what do you usually assume? And second part to the question, did you have any kind of feel for this player before he did this play? Yeah, so if he was in early position, I'll sometimes give them credit for maybe having um, a strong hand. You know, some people like to limp aces and kings from under the gun or whatever. Uh, but when, it, when it's middle position, I tend to lean more towards, like, small pairs, maybe suited connectors. Um, I'm just not a big limper in general, so it's hard for me to know what other people limp. But that seems to be what I see the most. Um, yeah, small pairs, suited connectors, not really broadways and stuff. Uh, maybe, some, maybe, like, some suited queen-jack type hands, but... I would lean towards the two other categories first. How many players at your table? Nine. Okay. So it's a nine-handed table. You're playing a 30-big blind effective against this villain. Um, you know, you obviously have him well covered. So he's limping in for one of his 30 bigs. And, uh, you know, as as everybody probably knows by now, I like to look in terms of M as well. So, I mean, this player, his M is only between 10 and 11. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's not really a limp fold kind of stack. I mean, if you have 30 bigs or, you know, especially when the when the ante is this high, uh, you know, you've got enough in that pot that whatever hand you want to get involved with, you need to be raising and trying to make decisive actions. So I think his play is probably not a good one no matter what he has. Mm Mm-hmm. Honestly. Yeah, and you had asked if I had any thoughts on him. I don't recall this from the hand, but I can tell you that according to my HUD, he was running 31.8, which essentially means he's playing 31% of pots, but he's only raising 8%. So he is a habitual limper to some degree, um, which maybe means we can put more junk into his range that we wouldn't expect people to be limping normally. Yeah. and I think it means we can probably discount like it being a big hand, right? Uh, you know, like right. like an ace king or or queens plus or anything like that. Probably not even like tens plus. Yeah, those hands are probably in that eight, right? So the, right. the second three flop raise percentage. Those are probably all the hands he's raising. The the very best hands and everything else he lived. So he's pretty much a loose passive player. So yeah. I mean, obviously that's not a winning strategy. We all know that. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So, I mean, with all that, he's on your immediate right. Correct. Yeah. So we'll have okay. position. Yeah. So let's go ahead and bump it up, kind of big. Um, I like to take a page out of our friend Alex Fitzgerald's book here, um, because once people limp in nowadays, they don't like to fold. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might as well really exploit that by making a larger raise than what would be quote-unquote standard so if the standard raise here would be something like i don't know 2700 or so um i would go much bigger here and make it make it like 4000 um your hand is very strong compared to his range since he's limping in with 30 percent of his hands um and also you really want to discourage anyone behind you from trying to get frisky thinking that you're trying to 
isolate the fish. I don't know how much of that kind of behavior goes on in a $10 buy-in online tournament on ACR, but you know, certainly live, that's something to worry about. Like if a guy, if a really talented player behind me figures out that my big, my raises are designed to uh, isolate the uh, the spot at the table, now I have to worry about him playing back with not much because that's just something that we do to each other in the live setting. I don't know if that happens a lot online, especially at this buy-in price point. So, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I I think that's true, and I actually like your raise size better than the one I chose. Um, I went <laughs> I went to twenty six fifty, but I completely agree with you on the philosophy of when people limp, they don't like to fold, so we might as well make it bigger um, because I mean, we have a great hand; it's a value hand. So I'd rather just get more chips in the middle. Um, but yeah, we went to twenty six fifty. Uh, a little too, okay. a little bit too small. I mean, it's not like a, it, it's not a crime <laughs> or anything to make it twenty six fifty. But I, I think at least like thirty two hundred. But but even bigger would be fine too. Yeah, I mean the way I look at it too, it's like I'm trying to set up a really favorable SPR situation. So if I make it four thousand, and let's assume this guy calls, then we're basically going to have ten thousand in the pot total um, on the flop, and he's only going to have. Uh, less than twenty thousand behind, so his SPR is going to be less than two. He'll probably get committed with any piece of the flop, and uh, you know that's a good thing when I flop well for my hand. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I just try to you know think in terms of what I'm trying to do total. I mean, th- then that's by the way the reason why we don't want to limp when we have an M of ten or eleven or thirty big blinds. You don't want to have much of a limping range with this kind of stack because when you get raised, you usually have to fold. Otherwise, you end up getting committed uh, too often with hands you don't want to be committed with, but because your stack is so short, right? Uh, you, you're just kind of stuck with it. So, you know, for example, if he limps in with something like Jack-10 and a flop comes 10 high, because his stack is so short, if especially if we make it 4,000, his stack's going to be really short. And and we'll, we'll sometimes have that hand crushed because, of course, we're also going to make this raise with aces, kings, you know, and other big hands, ace, ten. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that flop could just basically be the death of him. That's why you just want to throw those hands away when your stack is that short, in my opinion, especially from early middle position like he's in. Yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, instead you make it 2650, which is going to set up, you know, just some quick math in my head, like about 6300 in the pot. And he's still going to have 20k behind, so uh, his SPR is going to be a little over three, if my math is close. Yep, you're. Which you're pretty close, 7400 in the pot, and he has just under 21k. Okay, yeah, so that puts him like almost exactly at M of, I mean, uh, SPR of three, which is, uh, you know, it's not bad, of course. Uh, that's a fine setup for you. Uh, but yeah, like we really want to get him to where it's going to be hard for him to fold when he hits a piece. Yeah. So, yeah. I agree. Um, so yeah, so spoiler alert, he does call um, the raise. So we go heads As up. He <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yep. So we go heads up to a flop. Uh, like I said, 7,400 in the middle. Um, and the flop comes king, seven, nine, two spades. And uh, as I mentioned, I have the ace of spades. Uh, and he checks. So, based on what I was saying, like, 
I'm expecting this normally from a normal opponent to be a lot of small pairs and things like that. There's a king on the board, which favors our range. I think this is a pretty clear C-bet spot. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you don't even have to bet that much here because even a small bet should get him to fold like pocket fours or five four suited. Yeah, you know, I don't know like how many of his suited connectors he's going to limp call with here pre-flop, mm-hmm. um, but they all miss the flop except for like eight seven nine eight. Right, there are like hands with an eight, maybe like ten nine. You know, like, there aren't that many. And yeah, obviously the king doesn't hit his range much at all. Right. Um, you know, I guess he might limp in with king ten and then call your raise, depending on how bad he is. Um, yeah, to me that that play would just be atrocious on all levels, but it would result in him having a top pair hand here. But even if he does call your flop bet, we have so many you know backdoor possibilities, plus the chance when even when he calls, we might still be good. Mm-hmm. But if he has the jack ten that I mentioned earlier. He's double gutted now and he's definitely going to call this flop bet. Yeah. So, um, and we're still ahead. We just don't want to hit a queen in that case. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I agree with your analysis there perfectly. Again, I don't think we need the bet super big because we're just going to fold out all those hands that we crush, so that's fine. Um, so yeah, I bet 2099 into 7400 and he calls. Now that's a really small bet. I mean, I might have gone just a tad bigger. Like I was thinking more like 2400. Mm. Um, you know, it's kind of splitting hairs there, but yeah, I like the I like the basic uh philosophy of we don't need to bet very much and we're really just trying to fold out like his 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 total whiffs and maybe his pairs below 7. I think they should always fold, even for this small bet. Yeah. So, yeah, I like it. I like it. Cool. So there's now 11.5K in the pot, and the turn is the queen of hearts. <laughs> That's so funny. I just said it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and for the record, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't send this hand to Clayton before, so. Yeah, so guys, if we get to the river and this guy has jack-10... Especially since this will be like the second time this has happened in the last month. <laughs> um, I, I swear I don't get these hands ahead of time, and I don't know what the villain has in this hand. And in fact, um, KB and I didn't even talk about this hand before we started recording. So that's the full disclaimer, whether you believe it or not. <laughs> it's um, the truth. So it does hit his double gut shot on the flop. Um, you know, I'm not really sure he has that, though, because a lot of players would check raise it. You know, like a lot of times when you're kind of short stacked or medium short stacked, and you flop a, a draw, especially a, that your small continuation bet is very tempting for me to raise in villain shoes. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you only need a two thousand ninety nine. I could I could you know put pressure on for fifty five hundred, right? Which doesn't even commit me yet to the pot because that's one thing about your small bet is that it's easier to check raise than a large bet would be, right? So, yeah, I think uh, I, I would expect some of those types of hands to check raise as well. Um, so, yeah, so I, I guess I'll get to the action and then and then we can try to piece together what we think this guy might have. So he checks the Queen of Hearts turn, um, and I decided to I go ahead and bet 
I feel I, I yeah, just sure. I feel like we're gonna have the best hand here a lot of the time. Uh, yeah, and if sure. he is on a draw, like let's say he has like a gutter or or the double gutter or a fl- well, I guess if he had the double gutter, he got there. But let's say he has two spades, you know, maybe he has five six of spades or something. Um, I, I want to charge him for that draw. Um, and yeah, like, for I sure. I mean, he's, he's not. As, yeah, he doesn't have as many flush draws as he would if you didn't have the ace of spades. Right. I said that backwards, but I think everybody knows what I mean. Um, yeah, so I, it's not that he can't have a flush draw, but if he does, it's going to be with a hand like uh, five four of spades or maybe like, a, I guess, jack ten of spades, which, you know, just made the nuts. Um, queen, jack of spades. That would be great, right? If he has queen, jack of spades, that would be great because now he's got a pair and a flush draw, but we're still ahead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, that, so, and that's certainly that. That's the kind of hand he could certainly have. Um, yeah, yeah. Obviously, that hand would always call your small flop bet, and now has to continue now that you made second pair. Yeah, here on the turn. So yeah, I, I definitely agree with betting. Um, there's like eleven thousand five hundred in the middle. Yep. Yeah, so I'd put in. You know, it's really more about his stack at this point, isn't it? He's only got twenty. 20,000 left in his stack. Yeah, 18.6K. Okay, so 18.6, yeah. So I would make another small bet here. I think I would put in, like, 4,500. Yeah, I like that better. Um, I went a little bigger. I went 6,200, which is about half pot. I think it was a little smaller, and that would be better. Yeah, are you planning to fold to a check shove here, or what is the strategy? I so think, what are we doing here? Yeah, I think that's part of the problem. Well, not necessarily a problem on this street, uh, but could become a problem on future streets. I don't know if I had much of a plan. Um, I was really just thinking... I, honestly, I, I think I just thought he was going to fold to my turn back. <laughs> I'm like, okay, he, you know, he had his flush draw, he didn't get there, or he had you know 6-8 or something and didn't get there, so he's going to fold now. Um so yeah, I don't think I had much of a plan. I don't know. Let's see if he. So seventeen k in there. If he shoves eighteen, it's twelve to win thirty five. I don't. I don't know if I can fold. Get yeah, I don't know if price. you can either because uh, you know I bet here on the turn is big. I'm not sure it's easy to fold if you bet what the amount that I suggested, but it's a little easier just because the price is in his case. But again, that's not why I'm making the bet. I'm actually trying to get more value. Right. I mean, I, I value bet, but you sometimes change your mind about what's a value bet and what isn't when you get check raised. <laughs> I know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and what's kind of interesting too, and this is sort of a an online HUD type thing, is players who tend to be passive pre-flop like this also tend to play their hands passively post so like if he flops a flush draw the, this type of player i've noticed tends to just call you know they don't check raise their flush draws they don't you know check raise the turn when they pick up a combo draw or anything they just kind of tend to call 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 and hope they get there and then if they don't they fold um so to me, I 
in hindsight, I think if this guy did raise, it would actually... I, I might actually probably should fold. Just because, again, I don't... Even when he picks up, like, a, a another draw, like, say the queen gives him... I don't know. Like, I guess he could have, like, ace-jack of spades or something. Um, I, I still would just expect him to call. And let unless his hand actually improved. So then I, suddenly I'd be like, oh, he has king-queen, or he has ten-jack, or queen-nine suited, or something like that. Um, yeah, if he's not going to semi-bluff uh, his draws as a check-raise, then you basically have to fold because you can't beat anything. Right. And, then, you know, again, that's not like a hard and fast rule. It's just a tendency that, that I've... Yeah, noticed amongst and I've noticed that like live too. I mean, players who are passive—they're just passive, you right. know. And the really aggressive players don't tend to like slow down on the flop, you know. <laughs> right. Like if you're, yeah. If you're getting after it, you're getting after it on all streets, typically. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um. Yeah. So I mean, we kind of have a feel for this guy, and he hasn't shown any—not uh, one aggressive action yet. But if he does, it might send off some uh, warning bells in my mind. The problem is he's so close to commitment already mm-hmm. with the stack size, especially when you bet 62. It's you know even if you feel like you're not, you know if you feel like you're hardly ever ahead, you might still be tempted to call just for the price. Right. Especially because it's kind of hard to put him on anything, especially with this card. It's only what are you putting him on Queen Nine or Jack Ten? Because he really doesn't have a king a lot. Yeah, I don't think so either. It's a weird spot. So, um, yeah. But yeah, so he, I, I, like I said, I bet 6,200. He does call. Okay. Uh, so now there's 24.2K in the middle. He has 12.3K behind. Uh, and the river is the seven of hearts. So now the board is king seven, nine, queen seven. And there's, so now, the seven. Yeah. And there's three hearts out there now. Oh, okay. So the backdoor hearts came in. Yep. All right. So. And I'll, well, and he, he. So I guess I should say for well, yeah. Do you want to know his action first? Because he's first act. Well, I, yeah. I usually I usually like to think before he acts. That's cool. Whether I like river, yeah. you know. And before you tell me that he goes all in here on the river. <laughs> I mean, assuming that's what he's going to do. If I didn't know that, generally speaking, I would say this is a. A good card for us, mm-hmm. you know. I, I don't know how many sevens he has in his range. Although we did say earlier he could limp call with the suited connector type hands, seven six, seven eight, and they probably would have called your small bet on the flop. Although I'm just not convinced that those hands would have called a large turn bet like, like the one you made. Right. You know, especially when, you especially when the board got even worse for him. Obviously. Worse, right? So yeah, the queen comes off, and as he really is hanging on with a seven, I think it's very hard to put him on a seven at all. Yeah. So in that sense, I like the card a lot. I wish it were not another heart, but you know, in the big scheme of things, like if your opponent made some kind of weird flop call and then got there with the running hearts, it's like okay, he's supposed to double up through me on right. this hand. You know, I'm actually still more concerned about Jack Ten than anything. Mm-hmm. If yeah, so I my, I think my intention here would have if he had checked, I think I would probably jam. I would just hope that he has like ace nine or like I don't know, 
tens or something. Yeah, it just calls off. Oh, like, yeah. like the way the hand played, I just feel like I'm good here every time. But he throws us a little bit of a curveball, <laughs> as you predicted. Uh, he shoves for 12.3k. Um, I wish I remembered the timing. I don't remember if it was like a tank shove or just a snap shove or, or what the details were, but um, he does shove. Okay, so his bet is only half the pot. Yeah. And a, a bet of half the pot offers three to one on a call. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So the question is, one question is, are we good 25% of the time, three to one? I mean, I think we are. Mm-hmm. I think we're good more often than that against most opponents. Now you have this guy's HUD, and if it's like he never, ever, ever jams a river, <laughs> like you know, yeah, <laughs> like how many stats you can see on a HUD? But um, you know, if you have you know clear and irrefutable evidence that the guy just doesn't ever do anything big for his tournament life, uh, then you could fold. But I think twenty five percent is not a very high watermark for your hand being good. I mean, he should be doing this at least some of the time with those busted draws. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think... But we also, you know, I, I'm not trying to beat you up, but we're getting 3-1 because your turn bet was so big. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the smaller turn bet, and then his shove is, is giving us worse than 3-1, to one, right? Yeah. So that's part of the problem is so much of his stack is already in here. I don't think I can fold ace-queen. I mean, it's a crying call, but I think I have to call. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I came to the same conclusion. A lot of me thought, okay, missed draws, of course. Um, and I kind of was thinking, because one of the things I was worried about was Jack-10, like you mentioned. But in my mind, I kind of thought he would check-shove the turn with Jack-10, because he doesn't have that much behind. I've shown aggression, and he might want to protect against, like, another spade, you know, if, if I'm betting with a spade draw, or maybe I picked up the heart draw. I don't know. I just kind of felt like, okay, if he if he's going to get it in, maybe he wants to get in on the turn before a bad river comes for him. That's um, a really good point, Derek. That's a really good point, because now, uh, especially, you know, like the loose passive players, they get sucked out on a lot, because mm-hmm. they, they don't bet and raise. They check and call. Yeah. So, like that end up like so he's seen how many times that third heart can come on the so now on this turn card you know the board is like straightening out and there are two available flush draws now instead of just one i think a lot of players with jack 10 would check shove in his shoes and it's probably the right play Mm -hmm. in cases because you can get action from worse and even when you don't many times you're protecting your equity in the pot when you're at the stage in the tournament where you're you know, your tournament life is at risk. Right. So, you know, you could very well be drawing live, even if he does have the nuts on that card. So, yeah, you could discount Jack-10 a little bit. Obviously, he could have it. Um, but, yeah, I do think many players would check-shove the turn, especially with your large bet sizing. I'm saying large. You bet you bet half the pot on the turn. It's not like you overbet or something. It wasn't that large. Right. Um, but, yeah, I think that when you put in that, that much... Uh, um, he should feel like you're you're happy with your hand and would probably usually put you on a king and assume that you won't be able to fold a king when he checks and goes all in on you with the jack-10. 
So you you're usually going to call when you have a king or better. Right. Yeah, he could be optimistic and hope you flopped a set. And now he really wants to get it all in with you. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. So, so yes, yeah, so that, that, that's kind of what went through my mind, like that combination of ideas. Um, and getting the price we were getting. Um, and I know this shouldn't necessarily go into the decision, but I think the fact that I had a very large stack, I was like, okay, well, if I lose 12K more, I still got like 100 big blinds. No big deal. Um, so I did call, and he showed us the Jack 10 of spades. Oh, wow, what a <laughs> for him. So he bought the gut shot and a flush draw, a double gut shot and a flush draw, and didn't check-raise you. Yeah, you I, could, I couldn't believe wow. it when I saw it. Wow, that's incredible. Well, now that's a passive player. Yeah, to um, me, like, I, you know, I'm, I won't say I'm passive, but I'm not as aggressive as, say, Mark, for example, would like me to be. <laughs> um I, with you know doing you know like doing things like check raising and stuff like that, um, but man, like to me this is the this is the flop literally designed to be check raised with the exact hand jack ten of spades. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's doing well against everything. Yeah, he's doing great when he's doing fine when you have three kings. You know, what right? I mean? he's fine when you have three <laughs> yeah. kings. <laughs> yeah, so I was wow. definitely a little surprised to see it, but. Okay, um, and yeah, so I mean, it's always interesting too because in hands like this, we lost the hand, but I always try to remind myself it doesn't necessarily mean that we made a bad call. If we think we're going to win that hand, seventy or sorry, twenty five percent of the time, then we just have to keep making that call, you know, over and over again, <laughs> and eventually we start winning, you know. Mm. Now, I think one thing that I'm noticing here is it's it's really atrocious to be in early middle position with 30 big blinds with, the, you know, the ante of 100. Uh, it's just really atrocious to limp at all. Even I know Jack-10 suited is beautiful. We all love that hand. Like, yeah. When you make a straight with Jack Ten, it's always the nuts. That's right, and that's one reason we all love that hand. So when you see that hand, but your stack is too short to play it, you just have to say, "Well, I wish I had this on the button or in yep. the big blind, so I could call a small raise with it and see a flop." But no, alas, I'm in early middle <laughs> position, and I don't have enough chips to screw around with the Jack Ten type of hand. But for for the love of God, don't limp in with it. If you really, really have to play it, at least put in a raise. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, his play I, is yeah. just. I'd much rather throws. raise, raise, fold it than, than limp it. Especially limp call. Yeah. I mean, hey, you want to really get creative, limp jam or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess, but yeah, it's like, are you really representing what you think you're representing? Right. And don't, don't and don't actually do that, by the way, listeners. I was just kidding. <laughs> yeah, but don't. but anything but what this guy did, I think, would be better yeah. because this is just horrible. Like he makes a big mistake limping in, and that is a big mistake. Like the number of uh, big blinds per hour you're losing on that limp. You know, you're only limping for one big blind, but you're probably losing like seventy percent of a big blind. Yeah. By making that play with this stack in this situation from this position. It's just bad. It's really bad. Like that is a leak you can plug immediately just by being tighter and more decisive with your pre-flop decisions when you have that type of stack. It's hard to play an M of 10 or 11. 
It just is. Mm-hmm. And you don't do yourself any favors when you start limping in with suited broadways like Jack Ten. It's just not good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think it's I think it's like the classic I, I see this live actually, I think more than online, where people like have hands they want to play, don't have the stack to do it, and don't want to commit two big blinds or three big blinds and then get raised. So they're like, well, maybe I could sneak in here for just one, <laughs> one big blind. And so they try to limp, and then somebody raises them, and then you see how frustrated they get, and they toss their cards in the middle. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And, and had you made it the 4,000 that I wanted to make a pre-flop, imagine how much he would have hated you. you. Oh, it's yeah. like, man, I just wanted to see a flop with this Jack-10, and now you're going to make me, you know, put in a sixth of my stack. <laughs> right. And he probably would have. Yeah, but he's not going to like it. You yeah. know, they don't fold. Like, you know, Alex is right about that. And if you guys haven't read um, Exploitative Play in Live Poker, Alex Fitzgerald's book, and you haven't watched his videos on Tournament Poker Edge, I mean, he's right about player tendencies. He tells you how to play against the average player in the field. And once they're in for a dime, they're in for a dollar is yeah. basically one of the key takeaways from that book. And so, therefore, you can make their mistakes larger by making your preflop raises larger. You want to build big pots when you have the better hand and you're in position. And this was uh, an example of that. Ace-Queen is way better than Jack-10 suited, and you had position. And so that's why I would advocate building the bigger pot there preflop. Not that I would really expect him to fold. Right. For any amount. He already put in 800. He can't fold for 3,200 more. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Too funny. Yeah. Yeah, but Alex is, Alex is great. I really like his writing and kind of changing some of the things that I, some of the thoughts that I have about tournament poker mm-hmm. from reading that book and just kind of the approach. And, you know, don't be afraid to like make a non standard raise size or bet size, you know, because. If you have a reason, a rationale, and a strategy, if if they all think you're an idiot, maybe that's a good thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, when people start <laughs> people start like wondering if you made a mistake with your overbet or whatever, that's that's when you got them confused. Yeah. Like, did you yeah, mean to bet one point three x pot? Yep. Did you bet the wrong, wrong chip? I mistake, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that was an interesting hand, and uh, you know, always fun to kind of accidentally predict what your opponent had. <laughs> I know. We're getting good at this. Or yeah, you're getting good, good at it, I should say. Yeah. yeah. So um, you had another one, right? Yeah, so I have one more, and um, this one's kind of interesting in a different way, so I'll be interested to get to that point of the conversation. There's not a much interesting, really, until we get to the turn, I think, but uh, I'll run okay. it down for you guys. Uh, so we are at um, 700, 1,400 blinds. Same tournament? Uh, uh, this is a different tournament. Uh, this oh, okay. was this is actually an eight max tournament. Um, I believe it's a twenty-two dollar eight max. Okay. Uh, so we're playing eight-handed, obviously. Well, I guess not obviously. We have a full table. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, like I said, we're at seven hundred fourteen hundred. We start with seventy-two k. Uh, actually, about seventy-three k. So you know, again, a pretty healthy stack going into this hand. We are in middle position. We see two folds, and we look down at ace-queen of clubs. You always have ace-queen. I know. I, this is the ace-queen episode. I'm going to title yeah. this, How to Play Ace-Queen. 
<laughs> Great. <laughs> um, so probably, you know, not much to discuss here. I think a pretty standard open. Uh, we make it 3K. Actually, 3,099, because you know how I like to put 99 on the end. Uh, so like 2.5X, basically. Actually, yeah, just, uh, just yeah, maybe like 2.25. Um, and the guide directly to our left calls... And then the Mm -hmm. big blind calls. Mm -hmm. So we go to the flop three-handed. There's 11.4K in the middle. Um, First act check. Oh, sorry. Uh, The flop is ace, seven, seven, two diamonds. Okay. So we have top pair and a queen kicker on an ace, seven, seven, where we have no chance of making a flush, right? Correct. Okay. So the one that bugs me is the player on our immediate left calling. I'm a lot more concerned about him than the big blind who was kind of priced in and should call with a pretty wide range. Uh, when you are – you raised from what, third position you said? Correct. Yeah, so you raised from early – well, it's eight-handed, so middle. And then he calls on your immediate left. That is typically a pretty strong – hand because he has to worry about getting squeezed out by somebody three batting behind him most players don't screw around too much uh in that what we used to call bad relative position Mm -hmm. so there's absolute position which is where i am in relationship to the button but then there's uh relative position which is where i am at in relation to the razor right and the best place to be compared to the razor is on his immediate right because you know when you call you close the action right right so uh he's on your immediate left which is the worst place to be so um, if he's competent he probably has a pretty strong hand um that doesn't change the fact that it's a fantastic flop for us uh a77 is a great flop and it's very unlikely that that player on our immediate left called with a seven you know, I don't know what seven he should have in his range. Yeah. Also, I wanted to ask you, you said this is a $22 buy-in. Do these tend to attract a different caliber of player, or is it the, kind of the same guys playing the $10 tournaments as the $20 tournaments? I would say those two are pretty similar in terms of field strength. Um, okay. I don't really start to see much of a difference in competency until you get to about the $50 mark. Okay. Generally speaking, of course. I mean, you know, yeah. he he could be a he could be a free role player that's satellited into this for all I know. But but generally speaking, yeah, this is still going to be your sort of average recreational players. Um, I will say that his numbers are pretty respectable in terms of what he's running on the HUD. I mean, he's twenty eight eighteen seven, which is you know maybe I wouldn't mind seeing the preflop raise number be a little bit higher. But generally speaking, he's you know he's not like you know. Calling, he's not calling state. He's not, he's not playing forty percent of hands or anything. So, I would agree with you that I think this is going to lean towards a strong hand. The good thing about that is that I think the strongest of them may have three bet pre, so aces for example or ace king. So I yeah, think, and those have anyway because we know where two of the aces are already. Yeah, so I think you know his hand is going to tend to be more things like. 
eights through jacks. Jacks might have might have three bet pre too, but you know those kind of hands, or possibly like ace ten, ace jack, ace nine suited, and I'm perfectly happy with them having those hands. So yeah, of course. Um, he could have, he could have the same hand as you. Certainly, a lot of players would just mm-hmm. flat with ace queen there. Yeah. Um, if he's got a seven, he's got four of them. I think. Yeah, I mean, there certainly are some players, and he is deep, by the way. I should have mentioned he has 170k, so he has like, oh, he's got yeah, he's got nearly double our stack. So you know, right. he could certainly splash around with things like six, seven, seven, eight suited kind of hands, but I, you know, I think we can discount those for sure. Yeah, I, I think even with a deep stack, that's pretty dangerous to be calling from where you guys are. Mm-hmm. You know, in middle position here, uh, you know, especially with all those players yet to act behind him, it's kind of a leak if he does call. Like, I know we all love like those suited connector hands. Like, you know, I love like looking down at eight, seven of diamonds, like so beautiful. Yeah. You know, if somebody like Derek opens in like relatively early position on my immediate right, I just have to throw it away. Yeah. It's it's a leak. You you're spewing money if you do anything else. So, oh, uh, what happens? They check to you? Uh, yeah. So the first guy checks. Uh, it's on us, and I bet fifty seven hundred into eleven point four k. So I don't even know what yeah, that no is. Yeah, no problem. Um, the guy to our immediate left who flatted originally calls, and then the third player folds. So now we're heads up, and there's twenty two point eight k in the middle. And I have 64k behind, and as I mentioned, he has infinite chips. Um, turn <laughs> is the ace of hearts. So now okay, it's so... ace, ace, <laughs> seven, seven. Um, and this is where I kind of wanted to start really kind of get into the discussion, because, I mean, obviously we, we like this turn a lot in terms of it improving our hand, um, but it does make me wonder, do we bet or check here because let's say he has something like king queen of diamonds or I mean if he has a seven then we're probably getting at least one more street out of him anyway but I'm just worried like if he has almost anything he's gonna fold yeah I I, I see now why you wanted to bring up this hand because uh, you know like I said before I don't think he has a seven Unless he flopped quads, right? Mm-hmm. So he shouldn't have very many sevens. Like, yeah, I mean, players do play weird hands in weird spots that they shouldn't actually play at all. So there is, it's a non-zero chance, as I love to say, that he has a seven. But it's, it, if he's any good, which it seems like from his numbers he might be, he probably shouldn't have a seven very much. Also, just from, you know, combinatorics, it's hard for him to have sevens, even if he always plays all of his sevens. Mm-hmm. So, uh, obviously, he doesn't always play all of his sevens, but in this situation, I'm not that worried about a seven. And the fact that he called on the flop, it's hard to range him there because he doesn't usually have a seven. It's hard for him to have an ace. And this is before the the you know the next ace hit on the turn. Mm-hmm. His flop call made me wonder what the heck he's working with. And I think that most of his range will be hands like king queen of diamonds maybe king jack of diamonds like flush draws they had to call you on the flop yeah 
Are there any other hands he might have tried to call you with, like maybe like pocket jacks, pocket tens, as a float? It seems odd that he would do that because the big blind hasn't spoken yet. So, right. Yeah, I kind of feel like he. I think he could certainly could have like let's say eights through jacks. Um, that he would maybe float the flop with. And he might actually sort of like this turn if he has those hands, because it just makes it less likely that I can have an ace. Yeah. But that's kind of what makes me think, like, why, like, do I bet here? Because if I bet flop and bet turn on this run out, it just, it just, it, like, he's going to wonder why am I still betting if I don't have an ace? Like, aren't I scared that he could have the ace? <laughs> you know? Like, let's say I have kings or queens. Like, am I going to barrel this card? I don't know. Definitely not. I, I mean, I don't think you personally would. And I don't think that most of us would either. Yeah. So, yeah, agreed. I think betting uh, really looks like an ace, which is probably a good reason to make that play when you don't have one. Yeah, if true. You can get something strong, right? Like if, it, if it really looks that strong, you might as well do it, whether you have the ace or not. Um, but, yeah, I guess, you know, exploitatively, we might, might want to just check it when we do have the ace and maybe bet it when we don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. I like that. Right. Yeah, because if you if you bet it, like you say, you're going to lose him a lot, except the rare occasion when he has quads. Right. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, like, like I said... You could have ace-jack, and we're chopping, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, But like I said, there's twenty about 23k in the middle, so the, I am tempted to, to want to get more chips in the middle, of course, especially since this guy's got so many of them. Um, but I just kind of feel like we're gonna lo- we're gonna lose him too often when we bet, so I opted to check um, in hopes like that it. he bluffed or possibly just kind of go like bet check bet, you know, bet the river or something, and then he might actually find the crying call with jacks or tens or something. Um, yeah. yeah. So I checked, and he checks behind. Okay. So now, so now he doesn't have he doesn't have quads, right? Like he he doesn't play four sevens this way. So yeah. at this point, when he checks back, our hand is good almost all the time, right? Yeah, or chopping. Yeah, because right. I can, I can I think it's possible he checks back an ace if he has one here. Um, yeah, by the same for the reason, same reason why you checked. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because he's like, oh, yeah, he's like, oh, this guy gave up. Maybe you know, maybe he has king queen. I better give him a chance to check <laughs> or to catch up. And you know. yeah, I could squeak a little value out on the river, maybe. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, so yeah. So check, I'm check, gonna... and the river is the four of hearts. So now it's brick. Ace seven seven ace four. Yep, complete brick. Um, doesn't really change anything for us at all, unless he happened to have fours. But even that wouldn't matter because I think he's probably still gonna fold if we do anything so this is a like i tend in this spot to go to bet flop check turn bet river i actually do that with a lot of hands just because i find that it's the best way to get two streets for me sometimes um but now i'm kind of thinking the same thing like like i just said about this four it literally changed nothing so like if this had been the four of diamonds i think i love betting here um but I, I don't know what we ever get called by that we beat when we bet. So what do you think about checking the river again? Yeah, I think I think you have to. 
Yeah. I mean, honestly, like you could try to make some kind of like tiny bet to get just a little, just a little morsel of value from like a curious call from a hand like pocket tens, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you could go for like just maybe like I don't know, like about like four k or something. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, like 20% of the pod just because it'll be like, well, come on. Of course, I have to call that stupid bet. And then you right. just like squeeze out a little more value. I think it's way better to just check and then you can catch all his bluffs when he missed the diamonds or, or whatever. The problem is he won't bet his pairs, I don't think, because he can just check and show them mm-hmm. down. Yeah. He can't get value for any of them. So, yeah, I think checking the rivers is the best play. Cool. Good because I made that decision. I it's so hard when you have a big hand because you just really want to get paid, you know. <laughs> but it's like, am I going to like? How am I gonna? If I ran this hand a hundred times, like how am I gonna get paid the most times? I just kind of feel like checking is the key here. It's gonna look really weak on our part, um, and it gives him a chance to bluff. So we do indeed check. Um, the river action doesn't really matter too much, but well, it matters in that we got our desired result. Uh, he bets thirteen point eight k. Um, and we raise and he folds. That's great. Yeah, so he probably had that to draw or a pure bluff where he's like, look, Derek can't possibly be this patient to check it all the way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so they figure, well, if you're not going to try to win this pot, maybe I'll try to win this pot. And then they, they get the bad news when you check raise them. Actually, uh, if you guys listened to last week's episode, uh, I got into a hand where our friend Jesse Sylvia flopped the nuts um, on day one of the of the main event. Not exactly the nuts. I believe he had pocket sevens on nine, seven, four and had many opponents. He was in the small blind and he checks it down. Checks it three times. Wow. And I don't know how many of us can flop a set, especially when the board is like semi-wet, straight draws and flush draws readily available when you have five opponents. He checks it and then he checks it and he checks it and we really got into this hand last week because I, I was really fascinated by just the patience that he showed and the expertise in realizing that the best way to make money with this hand is to check it, even if it means that sometimes I will be outdrawn by any number of avail- available draws. He didn't feel like betting was the most profitable way to play his hand. And so, yeah, I, it's very hard to do because, like you say, when we have a big hand, get a little excited, the heart starts beating, and you're like, oh, I can't get some money in the middle. Yeah. But sometimes strategically, it's better to just check and see if you can get somebody else to pull the trigger. And also that protects those times when you check with nothing. You, right. know, you can't always bet when you have it and always check when you don't. You've got to mix that up just so that you're not exploitable. So, Or we're all exploitable, but this way you'll be less exploitable. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, so that was... Uh... That was this week in Killing Bird Poker Hands. <laughs> yeah, we love your ace queen hands. Uh, so yeah, thanks for bringing those in. I, I love having a week off off of uh, digging up hands that I noted from <laughs> the World Series. <laughs> and because I've been so busy in comedy lately, I actually haven't had much time to play myself. Um, I do have a Vegas trip planned for next month, so I'm really excited. And no, I will not be staying at Bally's. <laughs> yeah, screw them. <laughs> yeah, actually, so, um, I uh, subtle uh, humble brag. I actually shipped a tournament last night uh, on ACR, so I'm 
I'm going to dig through that hand history over the next couple of weeks and, and maybe pull a few from that for future episodes. So yeah, that's good. All the ace queens, just search for ace. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's my new favorite hand. It's funny I didn't even realize that when I picked these two hands until we got yeah, into them. Yeah, well, you know, there's so much more to a poker hand than what two cards we have. So uh, that's a that's a good sign that you didn't notice that. Yeah. So yeah, well, congrats on shipping. Which one did you win? Uh, it was the $22 8K, uh, which runs really late at night. It starts at, like, midnight or something. Uh, I think I finished at 4 a.m. It's a turbo, which is cool. Or, like, it's sort of a, I don't know. Turbos on ACR are a little different than turbos on PokerStars. I feel like turbos on PokerStars end in, like, an hour and a half. Um, not so much on ACR. But, um, yeah, so it was, like, 16.50, I think, which is nice because I've been on a little downswing lately, so... The, the money wasn't even as important to me as the fact that I finally <laughs> got off the schneid. Yeah, but you know what? If you're running bad in like eleven dollar tournaments and twenty two dollar tournaments, you know, winning sixteen hundred is is pretty nice. Yeah, that, that's a lot of eleven dollar buy ins you just won there. Yeah, you know, I'm quite happy. Yeah, and you stay in your bankroll and you know just play what you're supposed to be playing. You'll be you'll be great. Yep. You obviously know what you're doing. I can't criticize you too much today. Oh, yeah, I appreciate that. Don't yeah. worry, I'll, I'll bring you something good to criticize me about next time. <laughs> Either that or we'll bring Casey on. He'll, he'll cut you right back down to size. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, what else do you want people to know about? Your Tuesday thing still happening? Yep, Tuesday home games are still running. And, in fact, somebody actually came into the chat the other night and said, hey, I heard about your Twitch stream on the podcast, so here I am. Um, so that was pretty cool. So yeah, for anybody out there who wants to to come hang out, I'm actually thinking about trying to put together a TPE game, like a private tournament for just TPE members and friends of TPE. Um, so I don't know. I might I might work on that. So don't if you're listening, don't yell at me if I never make it happen. But I'm gonna look into it at least and see because I think that might be kind of fun, even if it's just like once a month or something. Uh, yeah, I think it's a great idea. And you know, now it's gone from being in your head. To something you've actually talked about on the podcast, so you might be more uh, responsible in actually doing it. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> um, so yeah, so you know, still doing that, and I mean, that's really about it. Just kind of busy with life and stuff right now. Um, but yeah, everything's well, good. Up till four, winning the uh, twenty-two dollar tournament. Tell me, you didn't go to work the next day? Um, I did, but not until about noon. Okay. And, and, and of course, I mean, by going to work, it means basically like walking down my stairs and going into my office, my home office. But, um, yeah, but I did work. Hurt. That's one of the yeah. things about owning your own business is you basically never really have a true day off. <laughs> like even Christmas Day, like you check, you have to check emails and Nancy, you know, somebody's account password expired yeah. or whatever. It's like there's no, there's no days off. Yeah, tell me about it. Curse of the entrepreneur, but. I wouldn't have it any other way, so <laughs> I'm sure you wouldn't either. 100% agree. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, for uh, for Derek Tenbush, Killing Bird, and for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Guys, thank you so much for listening. We love you.
It's not rough, it isn't fun, fun Oh, whoa, 